Deion Sanders said it. If you look good, you feel good. I want to look good and I want to feel good. I want to know that I'm, I'm, I'm coming in as my authentic self. And that's that's my piece now. So I show up where I am and I show up however, you know, however they're going to get me. If, if my hair in a bun, this is how you're going to get me today. <laughs> Hello everyone, my name is Walt and I'd like to welcome you to Boss Locks where we are redefining professionalism and proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. We do this by speaking to black leaders, CEOs, bosses, professionals, and just some amazing people who are doing some incredible things for the community and redefining standards in their own field. Now today I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Shakia Kegler. Shakia, how are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's Friday, sun's out, I'm just feeling blessed. <laughs> right, I think so, the COVID thing, it all runs together anyhow. So Friday is just like a fun yeah. word. <laughs> for real, for real. And this is a day if there's a lull. Sometimes I kind of feel like a weekend too. Mm-hmm. It's just all it's all a mess. Time means nothing anymore. <laughs> yeah. <That's a> <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, um, for those who don't know. Shakia is one of those people in the background doing some pretty incredible things. You know, she's a Navy veteran, a tech entrepreneur who's founded two pretty cool organizations. One is GovLea, which is a government liaison company helping small businesses get those government contracts. And another mm-hmm. is Code to Eat. It's a new organization that basically helps to empower people to code some pretty incredible things. Like we know with all the technology coming, coding really is the future. And she's helping people get into that world. Um, Mm -hmm. So Shakia, I have a bunch of questions to ask you. um, But to start off, I like to ask everybody, um, what are the three things that most people don't know about you? Um, So let's see, three things that most people don't know about me. I feel like I'm pretty much an open book, but um, I guess I'm the oldest of seven girls and one boy. So, yeah. Um, Big that's, family. I know. Huge. Um, the next one would be, yeah, I have two dogs. That's one. I have two dogs. And this is more just personal stuff, but um, yeah, I don't have anything else. <laughs> Not Give me cool. an example. What would be something? What tell me some things about you that Oh, about me? Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. flipped it on me. You know, that's actually it's funny I ask everyone this because that's probably one I always stumble with. Um mm-hmm. so this one's depending on at when you met me, but when I was in college, I had the opportunity to go to China for a month. Mm-hmm. Um and got to go to like four different cities, uh, Beijing, Xi'an, Nanjing, and Shanghai. And I mm-hmm. went in, honestly, I wasn't even really trying to go at all. Um, <laughs> I had a teacher, a Spanish teacher, just kept coming to me like, Walter, yo, application's in, you want to submit? Walter, you'll love it. Wal- Walter, <laughs> Walter. I was like, okay, fine. I just finally submitted it. I figured like, I'm probably not even going to get selected. And I probably have to raise a bunch of money for it. So it's just like, mm-hmm. I'll just do it, you know, get her to stop. <laughs> and then like a month later came by, she's like, Walter, guess what? You got selected. I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> she was on the board. She's she, she she selected. Was. She <laughs> was. Yeah. I passed her class too. So, you know, there's a lot of love there. Shout out to oh, Maria Zan. Um, yeah, you're the best. Um, 
but yeah, and it was pretty incredible. Um, I got to practice different ways, kind of raise some money and work mm-hmm. with the church I used to go to in high school. Um, we cooked basically me and my family came together. We cooked this like definitely, definitely Americanized fried rice meal for everyone. <laughs> Try to get some donations. And, but it turned out pretty good. Um, and yeah, it worked out, raised more than enough um, to go. It was incredible. We got like the high life treatment. My first time ever being like a four-star hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the food was incredible. The people were pretty cool. Definitely changed my perspective wow. on uh, China. Um and also kind of gave me that global perspective because you know you like we kind of grow up in our own bubble, even regardless of how open you think you are and how many friends you have from different backgrounds. As soon as you remove yourself from like the comfort zone and put yourself other places, it really kind of shows you like, oh wow, this is like a lot bigger than you think it is. Absolutely. That was a good experience. Yeah. What how old were you, Isa? This was college, I was a junior. Mm-hmm. All those ages kind of mold together. I was about to say, like, <laughs> uh, 21. I was 21. Okay. Yeah. I always said I feel like I had an advantage because I joined the military so young. Um, and I got a chance to, my very first duty station was in Japan. So, oh, yeah, I was there for three years. Look at that. Just came up with something that not oh, most people. What we do. Um, I get it. I get it. That it definitely changes the perspective a lot, a lot. Man, three years in Japan. Do you speak any Japanese? No. Yeah, I try to speak. uh, There, I learned as much as I could to get like by, but um, no. And because majority of the time we were on deployment, so uh, I was on like an aircraft carrier, and it was like over five thousand people on this ship. So when we would go on deployment, six months on, six months off. So every year it was like a six month rotation, six months on, six months off. So, so uh, six <laughs> months on the carrier. Yes. Six months out on deployment. Like, but the good thing about deployment is you, you, you know, you travel around and you get to stop in certain places like, uh, and it's called port visit. So we stopped in Singapore, um, oh, cool. Stayed there for like three or four days. We moved. We went to Australia, Busan, um, Korea. We went to the Philippines. So we went to a number of different places while we were on deployment. So it, you know, it wasn't half bad. Yeah, it sounds like a cruise. Yeah, <laughs> all expenses paid. Nope. It's not a cruise. I'm gonna just be the first one to tell you it is not. A you are working 12 months on 12 months. I mean, 12 hours on 12 hours off. Oh, wow. not a, yeah. So, but yeah. you get the luxury of seeing all of these different places. So definitely changed my perspective a lot because I'm from Florida and I've lived in Florida and Georgia and Alabama, but that's it. So me like getting completely just leaving home and going all the way to Japan was First of all, a culture shock for sure. But then it became, um, it helped me to be able to relate and also think about things outside of just the norm, you know, my neighborhood, my city, my town and things like that to really just focus on, wow, like this world is, it's huge. It's huge. Right. It's small, but it's huge. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. What was it like um, coming back from Japan or were you stationed anywhere else? 
Yes, I was. Uh, so after Japan, I went to uh, Lemoore, California. Oh. Uh, yeah. And it, it was so crazy. I was there for a few months and I went right back on deployment. So I was ready to get out of the Navy at that point. <laughs> I was tired. I was tired. Um, but yeah, so I was there. I, I went from there to Lamore, but coming back home was a culture shock. Like it was, <laughs> it's so strange, but it was different. Um, and then in addition to that, going home to like see my family, because I had been gone for so long, everyone had grown, evolved. So the people that I knew when I left were not the people that I knew when I came back. So I had to, you know, and being the oldest of my siblings, I had to get to know them like all over again. So oh, it's right. like the yeah. version of them. Exactly. When I left, they were babies, like, well, not baby babies, but they were young. So now like we have these young adults in high school and one get ready to graduate and one in middle oh, wow. schools, it's crazy for me. Yeah, um, and and along with my family, you know, um, friends, it's a different it's a different experience. But coming back home is definitely a culture shock. Um, and some of the things that you know you get so used to being in that country when you come back, and there's certain things that are being done, you, you are customs. Let's throw it that way. Like over in Japan. Um, Right now, COVID, we have to wear masks when we go out. It's customary over there for you to have a mask on if you have a common cold, just to protect everyone else around you. But, you know, you see here, because we are extremely privileged, we are in a space to where you got people who, I don't want to wear a mask. And it's just pretty much, it's my way or the highway. But, you know, just one thing to like take into consideration um, in terms of, the cultures and differences and yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny you uh, bring up the mask. Cause that's definitely something in China. Like it was, it was very customary. And also it's like, they had different like designer type masks. It was almost a little bit of fashion too. But like, I know in like some cities like Xi'an, there was a lot of air pollution. Mm -hmm. And I remember actually literally be able to feel the difference between the different cities, like how easily it was to breathe. And, um, yeah, it's like masks were like, not only, it was almost like a necessity that they turned into something that's almost a little cool too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is so funny. Like there's kind of coming back and just notice all the privileges, um, that we just kind of take for granted. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> like we're out here arguing about things like masks that. Yes. Like, it's not that deep. So it's it really not. Yeah. I, I was in, um. We went to Philip, the Philippines and I'll never forget that, you know, it was literally raining outside and it was pouring down. We were in a taxi on our way to a hotel and I think we spent like 60 bucks on this hotel and it was super nice. But that's beyond point. It was a little girl, like literally, I wish you could see like, but she was she was young, she had to be no more than like eight maybe. And she was like in the, in the rain, like outside begging for money. And it was just, for me, I'm just like, this is a baby. Like, this is a child. We don't we don't think about that. I, I think it's the whole concept of out of sight, out of mind. Like, I know here we also have, like, a lot of uh, homeless population. And I know we do have children, but I don't see them like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, so 
it opened my eyes up to that stuff uh, as well. Like being able to see stuff like this within our own areas, within our own communities and being able to notice it and try to do something about it. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, the approach, um, I don't know about other countries, but I know like here, approach people have to people who are homeless. Like I'm pretty sure in Florida, I don't know if it was the whole state of Florida or a certain city, but it basically made it illegal to give food to people who are homeless, mm-hmm. um, like just out of your own choice. And I think that's like yeah. wild. And I mean, if we're going to talk about our freedoms, I mean, that's something that should be free <laughs> to give people food, but that's true. It, yeah. But no one you that, huh? No, it's like a few people who are just like, it's like people, <laughs> yeah, people treat it like they're crazy. Like, <laughs> but yeah, so it's like literally get a ticket for giving someone a plate of, few, of food. That's well. like that. It's like that out here. Um, you definitely can get in trouble for giving food, clothes, anything. Yeah. Insane. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing I wanted to ask you, I think it's always interesting to kind of hear why people join the military. I know um, like on my dad's side, a lot of people live near um, Fayetteville. So you have Fort Bragg out there. And so a lot of people end up being in the military. Like I feel like half my family was in the military. Um and so sometimes it's almost like, um, it's just like a regular kind of thing to do. I think you see people always around the malls and everything, recruiting people, but also know everyone has different choices and influences to join. Okay. So uh, what Absolutely. was some of the things that inspired you to join the Navy? Yeah, uh, for me, it was family. I Like I said, I'm the oldest. So, um, and at the time my mom was having some health issues And, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I was in the best position to be able to, God forbid, anything were to happen, take care of my siblings, take care of my sisters Uh, without, you know, it's a lot of us. So pushing that burden off on someone else or, you know, everyone getting separated, like I didn't want anything like that to happen. Um, So I decided, you know, I wanted to what that I was going to join the military so that I can help take care of my family. Um, You know, and that was pretty much it for me. A lot of people you meet will say like it's because of patriotic reasons. For me, it wasn't. I felt like it was more of a necessity. Um, I needed to do what I needed to put myself into that position. And I felt like I wouldn't have been able to do that by going to college Uh, and working a job that well, working a job while, you know, like I said, being able to help take care of my family. I didn't feel like that would have been uh, the strategic choice for me. So that's why I decided to join the military. And it was a really good experience. Um, You know, I had a chance to learn a lot, travel, experience a lot, uh, but I grew so much because it's such a fast and like rapid paced environment. You have no other choice but to grow. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing that I'm most thankful for, the growth that I was able to obtain and the um, experiences because it allowed me to, you know, figure out how to react under, uh, and, you know, fast, like quick pace ideas. Um, also just being able to work in adverse environments as well. So. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty cool. How's your mom doing now? She's doing a lot better. So, um, she's, yeah, she's doing a lot better. She doesn't have like 
issues where we were worried about before. It's also because you know how you know how our people are. They decide to stop going to the doctor when the doctor stops telling them what they want to hear. So I have to constantly, you know, try to drag her to to the doctor sometimes. But that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Yeah, I'm looking. Um, I like seeing all the different um, kind of black doctors that we have out there now because I think that I know. I didn't grow up going to the doctor at all. I think one time mm-hmm. I went to like a, um, one of those. Um, like a clinic? Y- yeah. Cause I was like really, really sick, but um, that's about it. Yeah. No one really, I don't really know anyone who went to the doctor, but it, and that's cool. Cause there's a lot of other things you could do in alternative medicines, but sometimes you just really need that kind of expert mm-hmm. advice. And when you see like black doctors, they kind of know where you are. They're not just going to, write off something as like oh it's just this like they could really kind of speak to you so i like the new rise there i was reading about that the other day as well um about how and we go into talk about like mothers and you know them having babies and things like that how it's often discounted the fact of you know whether they say they're in pain or whatever the case may be so it's interesting to hear you say that as well they understand what you are going through and they are able to listen and empathize a lot better. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, I think it's all about like, I think Malcolm Gladwell put a book out about it, but just kind of like the art of communication and understanding the context in there as well. And like um, mm-hmm. speaking to uh, Dr. Abbasi Bomani, who was on like the second episode, it's a black mm-hmm. doctor out in, I think New York. And um, yeah, he was just talking about like um, changing way to perceive it from like doctors to more so like um like solving like health problems so like more like healers type of things kind of being more in the community so yeah we we got people in there making the difference Mm -hmm. definitely a long way yes (laughs) definitely a long way i'm thankful all right right um oh and also i forgot to ask you what exactly did you do in the in the navy oh yeah um my job was aviation ordinance so it was to build and assemble weapons, bombs, ammunition, things like that. Uh, but I also took on a lot of different collateral duties. <laughs> and one of them that I'm continuing to like, utilize today is purchasing. So purchasing supplies on behalf of my department. I ran our training, depart- our, our training department as well. And I was also a quality assurance manager uh, within, you know, this entire role. So I took on a lot of different collateral duties just because like I'm that type of person. I have to keep going. I have to stay busy. So and the military amplifies that. So <laughs> Yeah, I know you're staying busy now with everything you're doing. Like you just started the coding program, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just started Code to Eat when um it was actually in October. And we started Code to Eat, but we hadn't done anything with it. And then February came around and we ran our first program. Actually, we ran our first program in January. And then in February, we had another program. So it was pretty cool. Now we're on like uh, fundraising efforts. So that way we can get into the digital space a little bit more. Um, And also because we do understand that a lot of the kids that we work with, they need to have access to the tools. So maybe we can get some partners with some laptops or, you know, partner with some companies who could also provide Internet connections. So that type of stuff. So that's where we are now. Very cool. Very Mm -hmm. glad to think I could go through my phone and see if I 
Nobody wanted to connect you with. Yeah, because that's uh, pretty noble and everything. And definitely needed now with kind of the way the world is heading. Like already everything is kind of going digital a lot sooner than people expected. And like, you know, it's, we don't have to rely on like Apple and Microsoft anymore. People can like develop something in the basement and put something mm-hmm. out there. Yeah, like I think I just heard, I'm still looking into it, but I just found a black owned um, payment processor. Which I think is really cool and really interesting because right now it's kind of dominated by like Stripe and PayPal. So this will be this if it can keep going, this will be a pretty big um, thing for the black community in the world, too. I think right now is a great initiative to start pushing more of that out uh, with all of the money that's being spent with black owned businesses. So imagine it going through their payment system instead of the. Yeah, that's insane. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, you, oh, and also just to kind of provide a little more context, you joined the military right after you graduated? Yes, you after high school. After high school. Mm-hmm. What year was that? 2011. 2011. Three, and you were in the military for like three years? Five. Five? Mm-hmm. So I got okay. on in Got you. And I think that was around the time they actually, I think it was the Navy who lifted the kind of ban on dreadlocks. Yes, but that was after I had left. Oh, yeah, right after. <laughs> yeah, right after. So it was crazy um, being in, and there was actually um, a, a lady who had locks. Like she's she'd been in the military for like 16 years and she had locks, and they basically kicked her out because of her locks. So to us, like mm. that was insane. Like over hair is that deep? Right. <laughs> so, and, and we were saying hair as in like y'all really upset about the way somebody else is wearing their hair. Like right. that's crazy. That was crazy to to us to see. And I had already wanted to like lock my hair. Um, so after I I separated from the military, it was. Like my my uh, signature into like my next phase when I decided to lock my hair. So that's pretty much what this growth is about. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. So hair. right it's after leaving the military, you kind of started your lock journey. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It was, and it's something that I've always wanted locks, even since like high school. Um, but you know, I was immature back then. I didn't want to go through that ugly phase, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but yeah, did that. And I ate before I um, locked, I actually had like a a shortcut, you know, did the big chop, got my hair cut. And then I said, okay, cool. Like, I want to really start this journey. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you? Um, I guess you were always kind of like a little interested, but what was it like doing that, going through the big chop? Um, You know what? It was very sporadic and I do stuff like that sometimes. And I was just like, (laughs) uh, I came back to Florida for like a wedding and um, and I just went to the barbershop and I was like, cut it off. And they cut it off. And I was like, damn, I really just got my hair cut. Like, it was crazy. Sometimes Um, you got to take that plunge. I just did it. So it wasn't much into it. And then after like that. That first initial like 30 minutes, I'm like, wow, like I really just cut my hair. But then like later on, I was like, oh, I look cute. So, <laughs> you know, I kind of just I fell in love with that short haircut. 
Um, and then, you know, I had a perm. I had, my hair was relaxed for like for a long time. <laughs> so I had so much so that the back of my hair, it stayed straight. It's insane, but it stayed straight. Um, but I ended up basically having like some some relaxer still on the end. So I would let it grow out, cut it, and just play with my curl pattern. So eventually I had like a nice row, my little curls. I learned how to manipulate them and make them pop. And I was loving that. And then I, I was still in the military at the time. And you can't have like basically you can't have like a fro. Like you can't have a big fro. And it has to be the size of like your driver's license. Um off like sticking off of your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can't be too high. So my hair was growing so fast, I had to start wearing like the Sealy braids to the back, the ones off the color purple. So that's <laughs> man. Well, like will they actually like come up to you like, hmm, pull out your ID. Yeah. Like. Oh my, and they would really pull out a a, a card and like and I'm uh. like Y'all so ridiculous, like just so ridiculous. So after I had like three or four people tell me, like it was one day I had like three or four people tell me, I'm like, all right, well, let me at least try to braid it tomorrow. So I just don't have to hear people mouth. Um, mostly because I didn't want to have to say anything to them. <laughs> mm -hmm. I just kind of did it so I can go on about my business. Mm -hmm. It's crazy this... Um... I mean, I feel like of all places, I understand it the most in the military because of the mm -hmm. idea of uniformity. Um, but I think this idea of like what professionalism looks like, like really bleeds over into all of our, all other walks of life. And mm -hmm. I, I could see like in the military, if you're like in battle or something, maybe like you're needing like the proper equipment that I guess that makes sense in my mind. But other than that, it's, um, it's kind of ridiculous, in my opinion. You've been talking about like the males with you know the requirements you have to shave every day. Oh, you have to shave so, every day. Yeah. Oh. Um. Yeah, you have to shave every day, and so a lot of like black men they get the bumps. Yeah, I was about to so say the razor bumps. A no shave chit. and you know just a a, a chit that says, okay, this person can't has can you know basically have some hair on their chin and stuff so oh you have yeah. to apply for that yeah you have to go well actually you don't even have to apply for you have to go to medical and you have to show them like look at my bumps mm, look at me <laughs> look at my bumps <laughs> and, yeah so mm -hmm. interesting so, yeah, thing. Mm -hmm. okay cool so you left the military and started your natural hair journey. You were free. Um, what did you do after you left? Um, after I left, I uh, stayed around in Lamo well, no, in Nevada for a little bit with my boyfriend, and because he was still active duty, and then I was like, okay, well, let me go back to Florida and let me, you know, find a house. So I came back and found a place. And I applied for a job. I was working at this job at the time at a pharmaceutical company, helping them sell their products and services to the government. And uh, from there, I kind of took the 
approach to start my own business. But before even applying for this job, I really, like I said, I decided to leave the military because I wanted to, oh, I didn't tell you this, but I wanted to pursue my MBA. Well, I was just, I was tired of being in the military anyhow, but I just wanted something different. Like I needed something different. And I decided I wanted to pursue my MBA because I finished my bachelor's degree in business management while I was active duty. And I got out, uh, went to school, I got accepted into the program and everything. And there was an issue with my um, post 9-11 GI Bill. And I couldn't, you know, start the program on time. So post 9-11 GI Bill is basically um, a scholarship from the, the military. They pay for your tuition. They pay for, they also give you a stipend monthly for you to pay your bills and stuff. So, um, yeah, I wanted to leverage that post 9-11 yeah. and just really focus on school. But I couldn't because I had used um, like part of a Montgomery GI Bill. So you even have an option. You can use the post 9-11 or the Montgomery GI Bill. But if you start one, you have to finish it. So I used like one credit from my Montgomery GI Bill while I was still active duty. And um, because of that, I couldn't switch to use the post 9-11. And the Montgomery GI Bill, they don't give you as much funding as the post 9-11 does. So um, they kind of like threw a wrench in my plans. <laughs> so that's why I went to go find a job. Just because I that. So, yeah. Interesting. Did you ever get to go back to school? I did not. Mm. I did not, fortunately. Um, but I think where I am now, I've learned so much in the space of just being a business owner, being an entrepreneur. I feel like I wouldn't have got any of the informational experience that I needed. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a lady here in Georgia who works at the, uh, it's funny she said this actually, I think she works at Georgia Tech and she works with startups and does a lot with the MBA program there. And she basically said like an MBA is almost equivalent to starting your own business. Like mm -hmm. obviously with MBA, you kind of learn some of the things, but when you start, you really learn like the practical um, uses and everything. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting. Um, I can hear actually your thoughts on this. I know with me, I'm glad I went to college, um, but I feel as though most of my education wasn't really in the classroom. It was like through opportunities, like going off to mm -hmm. China, um, kind of playing soccer. I was on the soccer team, so playing soccer with people from all around the world and really mm -hmm. that kind of social aspect and connecting, collaborating with people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I wonder like, of course with the MBA, you learn certain things, but sometimes it feels like it's better to actually go out and do and apply it and then maybe go after and get something specific. But um, how do you feel mm -hmm. about education versus actually applying? Um, now I am pro like actively applying, like learning by doing, um, because I feel like that's where you, you gain like that firsthand experience. So you get everything, you get the good, you get the bad you, and you, you know, you get the opportunity to celebrate those wins at the end, right? Because you're actively doing it when you're learning about it, you're just learning about it, and then later on, you are executing and implementing. I feel like doing it at like simultaneously, it makes the information stick more. I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> that's how I feel personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does make sense because I almost have to like really truly figure it out and try that's to make things stick. Yeah, yeah. it's like theory versus actual 
in the field. Mm -hmm. Theory versus practice. Um, and I will even like go as far to say, once you actually go through school, like some of the stuff from my bachelor's program, I don't remember it like at all. Um, and I don't feel like it prepared. I felt like in the beginning, some of the stuff that, you know, I learned, it helped me to understand a little bit about business operations, business management. But now that I'm actively managing a business, I know what, you know, what's needed for this business. I know the business needs to have proper operations, marketing, sales team. Like I know every facet and every component of that business now. So I think that's another thing it does. It allows you to see it from, you know, not just from working on what you are working on in this particular area. You see every component in every position of a business. And I, I like that side of it. That's very true. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. It's almost like in school, you learn the theories, you learn kind of things, what to look for, like how to kind of create that blueprint. But when you actually start something, it's like, oh, knowing what specific tools and materials you need to make that mm -hmm. blueprint come to life. Yeah. And I wouldn't even go as far to say, like, sometimes when you finish school, a lot of the information is obsolete by that time as well. I think about the idea of marketing. So a lot of people who, you know, are doing marketing now we're in the middle of COVID. So if you didn't learn a lot about digital marketing while you were going to school, you still got to learn about digital marketing in the process. So, you know, it's one of those things as well. That's a very good point. Cause I remember in school, like we definitely learned both, but digital was still pretty new. Mm -hmm. And I think I learned a lot more about digital marketing from like Gary V and people like that than like in the classroom. So um, exactly. yeah, that's a good point. Kind of outdated information. Mm -hmm. Kind of using textbooks from the early 2000s. Say what? I said, I'm not talking bad about school or anything. Definitely <laughs> opportunity. Get your credentials. Do that. Mm -hmm. But if it's gonna cause you to go into debt or something, oh, I don't know now. <laughs> the best choice for your situation. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's talk a little bit about um, GovLea, and I think it's so interesting what you're doing, like with government contracting, because I think that mm -hmm. that's kind of like a foreign concept for a lot of people, including myself to a degree. I think um, the first time I heard about this was from the movie War Dogs. Most <laughs> people would just talk about like winning a government contract. Next thing you know, they're in the Middle East running guns throughout like the desert <laughs> in the middle of this war zone. And so now mm -hmm. for every time I think about government contracts, I think about that. So mm -hmm. um, just to start off, can you explain what government contracts are? Absolutely. So um, government contracting is a form of purchasing and, or procuring a certain product or service. So as a government agency, or let's just take it a little bit uh, further, as a consumer, you are purchasing products from whether it's a business or an organization. So a government agency is also a consumer, right? They just purchase it in a bulk or they purchase it for a number of years. So what that means is as a government agency, let's say as a school board, I had I wanted to purchase, you know, 80,000 laptops. I have to go out, find a vendor who can provide these 80,000 laptops and I'll, you know, basically buy it from them. So that's basically what the government contracting process is. Procuring or um, creating a contract, well, procuring a product and then a contract um, to actually basically just solidify it. 
Interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm glad you used school as an example because that was another thing. I think sometimes we think government, we think like federal government, but it could literally yeah. be anything, any form of the government. Like I know, um, you correct me if I'm wrong, but would one example be like working with the police department? Yes. Yes. So in the in the government space, it's broken down um, by the federal, state, local governments um, and anchor institutions. So anchor institutions can sometimes be um, like quasi government entities. So like you said, the police department, they have their own budget and, you know, they manage this stuff themselves. So they're more of like an anchor institution as opposed to the actual like government um fall under that particular city or county organization. They're usually over here. They're usually funded in part by the government, but a lot of their funding comes from other places as well. Um, And then we think about high schools. I mean, yeah, high schools. We think about school boards. Um, We think about colleges, universities. These are all like parts of anchor institutions um, that they have their own funding, but you can still sell your products and services to them. They're still considered... Um, organizations and they have all have procurement department. All businesses have procurement departments and organizations. They all have procurement or purchasing departments or whatever you, whatever name they want to call it that day. They have that. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. And mm-hmm. so you can, I guess, what is that process like to kind of contact that procurement uh, department? Got it. So it really varies based off of where you plan to do business. So the federal government levels, you would have to identify which organizations are purchasing the products and services that your business provides, right? Uh, And also you can find different opportunities that they are already looking for. So it's called a solicitation. And what they'll do is they'll advertise, they'll put out an advertisement saying, hey, um, basically we want 70,000 dollars just go with laptops again, because I keep looking at my laptop, but we won't say (laughs) thousand laptops and um, they'll put this out. They'll put this solicitation out or it's also called the RFP, a request for proposal or RFQ request for quote. Um, the difference between a quote and proposal proposal is like a full package document showing, you know, we're going to let's say this is mostly for services. Proposals are usually mostly for services. So if you provide cleaning services, they want to know how do you provide these cleaning services? What is your schedule? How do you pay people? Uh, what you know, t- products or tools or materials are you using? So you'll put all of this information into a proposal. But if they're looking for a quote, like we saying with the 70,000 laptops, you just provide a pricing, how much it's going to cost. And um, that's how you'll be able to, they'll be able to analyze your your bid, right? So those are, those are two forms of bids. So if you get awarded this contract, you get awarded this opportunity now, you know, that's your contract with the government. You can provide your services or your products. And then, oh, at the state and local government levels, they also have processes in place. So the difference with the state and local and the federal government is that the state and local level is decentralized. So everyone's processes are completely different. And um, that means you have multiple processes to go through, whether it's for your county, your city, or the city down the street. So you just have to figure out what those particular uh, procurement processes are 
and uh, follow those. So they still have it the same way. They can either advertise opportunities and let you know what's available, or you can connect with them um, through just building a relationship and letting them know about your products and services that you have available. And usually the best way to reach out to who needs your services is identifying what department will benefit the most from the products or the services that your business provides. Gotcha. So you can't just go to Indeed and be like, yo, what school wants to buy laptops? Listen up, everyone. I know you've been asking about how you can support besides listening, and it's been a minute, but I finally have something for you. You can now join me in the Boss Locks Village. It's a Patreon group that you can join to get exclusive content, be the first to find out about new shows, and even find opportunities to be a part of the show. There's a lot of cool things that I'm ready to do, excited to launch, and the Boss Locks Village will be the first place to hear about it. So once again, um, go to bosslocks.org and look for the link to learn how to join. But you'll want to act fast because the very first three people to join the village and leave a podcast review will get a free, never-before-seen, original Boss Locks shirt. And I mean really new, like it's not even on our site yet. So right now, stop what you're doing. Go to bosslocks.org, that is B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S.org to learn how to join. Thank you. Now back to our show. Uh, so uh, in order to find the opportunities, that was the question, right? To yes. find the opportunities uh, at the state and local government levels, they have different processes in place. So the process to go through would just be to go to that city, that state or that county's website. And um, they'll usually have a section for one procurement or purchasing because the terms are interchangeable you can either look for one or the other to find the information about what they're buying and how they're buying also keep in mind uh, key terms would be um, rfps solicitations current opportunities if you see any of those things on that city that county or this that local government website that's how you'll be able to figure out where those opportunities are. Now you see my hands moving because I talk with my hands. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's how you'll find those opportunities. And then even deeper into that stuff, they have projects that are um, considered set aside. So set asides are for business for businesses who are uh, certified as whether it's a woman-owned, veteran-owned, or minority-owned company. Um, they also have other certifications like small business certification, local business certification, uh, disadvantaged business certification, and um, certifications for businesses that are operating in a historically unutilized business zone. Hmm. So those are you know different areas that business can get certified and be considered a set aside, right? So what that initiative does is it focuses on ensuring that opportunities are going to underrepresented businesses because of course they've seen it. Uh, a number of disparity studies have also shown that businesses uh, that the businesses that they're purchasing from are not um, they're. The disparity study shows the disparity in the no in the types of businesses that they're purchasing. Gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting to say that because I know um, a friend of mine here in Atlanta who I don't know exactly what the certification was, but he basically was registered as a minority-owned um, videographer, and he ended up having the I forgot who it was, but someone a part of the government reaching out to him like, "Hey, we actually need your services to mm-hmm. help." Um, 
I want to say, cause I don't know how, um, if it's gone through just yet, but basically with this project they had going on in Atlanta and they reached mm-hmm. out to him because he was literally one of two black videographers in this specific service. And he was mm-hmm. just registered and that turned into a contract that would kind of have him set for like two years. Yeah. And I was just going through the process of being certified and then they kind of just have you unlock, um, whenever they need you. And I was like, well, it was like a real game changer too in regards to like the size of the contract. Um, and they all usually are. That's the thing. Most of them usually are, unless it's like more of a, a simplified, you know, acquisition purchase or micro purchase. Those are usually the smaller opportunities, but they all usually are. And, and acquisitions are actually big, pretty big purchases as well. They can be um, pretty large as well. So I'll just say micro purchases then because micro purchases are purchases that can be made with the government purchase card that are usually below the threshold of 5,000, 3,000, depending on the particular organization. Um, Cause I think even with the DOD, their, their threshold is higher. I think their threshold is 10,000 uh, to purchase the card. So, or just a PO uh, uh, purchase order. So, yeah. Gotcha. How easy is it to um, actually get a government contract? Because I feel like I'm ready um, to go search now for something. Um, so it takes a lot of learning. I will say that it's a like a constant uh, learning process, and also just trying. Like that's the biggest thing. Uh, a lot of people are afraid to just get started in the process, but if you get started, people can help you uh, better navigate and let you know what you could be doing better. What could you be doing to better your chances of winning this contract or future opportunities? So that's pretty much it. So, but in in theory, it's easy if you have. Uh, all of the things you need for that particular job, right? Gotcha. Uh, past performance is huge as well. They also want to see, have you been doing this before? Um, our businesses don't get those uh, opportunities to start a company two weeks before and then issue out PP and PPE. We don't get that stuff. Um, so you actually have to like put that stuff into uh, context as well. Gotcha. And do you have to be certified before you try to get a government contract or let's say someone who has been doing it for a while, just never went after any certifications and they come across a contract or opportunity they want to go after, do they have to have all of those credentials in order to apply for it? No, that's the thing. You do not have to be certified in order to get this contract unless it says it's, cert- it's set aside for a certified business. If it's certified, then yes, you have to be certified (laughs) Um, in order to get that. But other than that, no, you do not have to be certified to bid on opportunities with government agencies. Uh, Set-asides are usually, for a business, it's more of a marketing advantage because governments have goals uh, for these set-aside businesses. So they'll have a goal to purchase, you know, whether it's 5 or 10%, 25% from a minority-owned business or whatever the case may be. So they set goals for this stuff. Hmm. Okay. So with that in mind, um, with the government kind of wanting to support like a certain percentage of their business going towards like minority businesses, um, have you noticed any maybe like preferential treatment towards certain businesses based on 
whether it's like a black owned business or woman owned business versus like, like a white owned business? Um, so I'm sure there are, I can't say that it happened while I was purchasing, but I know that there it's an issue. Like I said, if it wasn't, there wouldn't be a number of disparity studies showing this, this data, showing that these contracts are not going to these businesses. Um, so I will say that there is, but I can't give you a direct example. Gotcha. And I guess it does depend because now that I'm understanding, it could be anything from like the federal government to a local school. I guess it really exactly. depends on the environment and so broad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Extremely broad. Yeah. Okay. So I can just imagine how complex it could be to one, know if you're ready for a contract and actually go and apply for it properly. It's like, mm -hmm. what exactly does your agency, GovLea, how, how do you guys come in? Absolutely. So we initially started as a consulting firm um, because, you know, the idea was always to develop the, the technology to simplify the process. But we started as a consulting firm teaching businesses how um, to do business with government agencies, how to bid on opportunities, how to find contracts um, and all of those different things. So now our focus is the actual technology side of it. Right. So we took the the concept of the process being decentralized at the state and local government levels and focus on trying to simplify that. Um, and what our platform does is it allows a business to be able to create one profile, one time that can be used to connect with multiple government agencies uh, and, and anchor institutions. So what, because we said before, it's decentralized. And just as an example of how this can be complex and time consuming for a business, I live in Broward County. Broward County has 31 cities and everyone's process is completely different, including the city, the counties. So that's 32 procedures that you would have to figure out how to um, get into as a small business. And I was just like, that doesn't make sense. So right. uh, we are focused now on working with the agencies to make a more centralized solution, but that also allows them to maintain that decentralized status. So yeah, and once a business creates that profile, they can use that same profile to get registered, certified, and bid on opportunities uh, with those organizations. So we just, well, you just began the development on our opportunities portion where businesses like prime contractors. So that's another thing too. I'm gonna hop into that, then I'll come right back. But there are two types of contractors with government agencies. So you have the prime contractor and the subcontractor. So the prime contractor is the main contractor on that job, that the person that won the contract, uh, but the subcontractors are contractors that they use to help facilitate this job, help them meet their goal, right? So um, in, with that in mind, a lot of times prime contractors have to meet those uh, small business requirement for those set aside goals, right? If they have a contract that's worth $1.7 million, they'll say, okay, we have a 9% set aside goal on this. So the contractor who, um, the contractors who want to bid on this opportunity, they must perform a good faith effort research in order to find these set aside businesses. So we find that it's harder for these companies to find, or let's say a lot of times they could receive a waiver saying they searched for a business who could provide these service, uh, but they couldn't find them. 
right? So with our solution, now you can advertise them online. And oh, by the way, we have a number of uh, minority certified minority-owned, veteran-owned, and women-owned businesses here. So don't worry, you will have someone ready and prepared to get on this opportunity and on this job with you. So that's one one feature that we're rolling out this that's week. Really cool. but we have- Thank you. Uh, we have a number of other features that I'm extremely excited um, about uh, for to be able to roll out in addition to, you know, government agencies being able to advertise opportunities on our platform. So extremely excited about this, um, about this. But that's what we do now. Uh, and we just launched the platform last month. So now what we're doing is really focus on getting the word out sharing the message, sharing the information, getting businesses onboarded onto the platform. It's free uh, for the businesses unless you want to upgrade to one of our membership packages. And that's only if you need the opportunity, you need uh, services or features like advertising opportunities on our platform, that type of stuff. But otherwise you can bid, connect with other businesses on the platform, connect with government agencies. You can do all of that for free. Um, So yeah. So that's what we're doing with the businesses. And then on the government side, we're pushing that as well. We're pushing those components to be able to focus on onboarding more government agencies, letting them know what we're doing. Because if one thing, you know, COVID has taught us is the regionalization of the the supply chain. We need more of that. We need to be able to do more business with our local businesses. And that's what GovLA is facilitating. That's beautiful. That's really cool, too. I just think of um, just in regards to searching for jobs, um, yeah. just how annoying it is to <laughs> have to retype your information in different formats over and over again. And even if you upload like a resume, it'll kind of just, it'll really just mess it up and put like your, where you went to college as like your job experience thing too. Yeah. And it's just a mess. So I absolutely love <laughs> what you're doing with the government contracting world. Cause I can only imagine like with job interviews, you just have to find your job experience and your um, education with government contract. There's just so many mm-hmm. other things. Like you said, like 32 different um, mm-hmm. things. Th- yeah. So yeah. that is really cool. Really You're in cool. a Broward area alone. So I'm just like, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man. Do you ever like take a step back and kind of look like, wow, look what I created? Like, I know you're still early in your journey, but this is a really cool thing. I did it yesterday. I took that time and I was just like thinking of the things that happened because I I was thinking of it. Social media caused it to happen. I was like, I need to post a, you know, a photo because I'll post like every week or something like that on my personal page. Um, and I said, well, let me post a photo. And I went through, it was Thursday. Okay. Throwback Thursday photo. And I just did like a a recap. And I thought about like all the things that have happened, things that have occurred that, you know, the obstacles that I've had to overcome and, you know, a lot of the wins that I just really did not celebrate. And I kind of just was, I was so thankful. Like it, it spilled over into like this day as well. Like I'm extremely thankful for the journey within itself. Uh, And that's the first time that I've been able to literally say the journey because before it's been individual components, but now it's just like everything. Like I needed every good thing, every bad thing. I needed all of that to happen to me. So that's, that's a, that's so true. I think um, we often just focus on the good the good Mm -hmm. but if you really think about it like there really isn't 
like there's no good without the bad it's all really like a balance it flows together and like like i always just think of like the kanye song um from back in the day i think it's such the sky where he's like i'm trying to write these wrongs but these same wrongs help me write this song and just mm-hmm. like man it's like all these things that happen to you like it sucks and it sucks that it happened but without it like you wouldn't have gotten to this point absolutely i was thinking the other day about the idea of things not happening to you happening for you is all it is like everything happens for something else <laughs> i hate to to try to make it seem like everything is a chain reaction but everything happens for something else to happen or for to prevent something from happening that's mm. another thing. That's a good point. That's a good point. Now, um, another thing that I think is really incredible, like not only did you create this company, tech company as a black woman, but you also decided, all right, I did this. So let me help other people learn how to develop their own things tool uh, too, Mm -hmm. and started to code to eat. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about what actually inspired you to create this foundation? Of course, um, getting into this tech space is it's different is and, and just learning about it. Uh, but once you actually get into it, you realize the opportunities are just literally endless. Like you, the opportunity to be able to create something, uh, especially if you want to create something for yourself. And I was sitting down with one of my friends one day and we were talking about, you know, man, I wish I would have known this stuff growing up. And. It was just one of those things like I feel like I would be so I would be so dope right now. I mean, I'm dope, but I was <laughs> right about to say I'm dope. Right. <laughs> so I said I wish I would have known this stuff um growing up. And that's when I came up with the idea for code to eat. So what code to eat is it's it's a focus on being able to learn how to leverage technology to create your own economic opportunity, right? So how I'm going to eat, right? We creating your economic opportunity so you can eat. So that's where the idea code to eat came from. And our logo is actually an elephant made out of like code. (laughs) And it's so cool because it's the idea of one bite at a time. So we're starting with the youth um, and we're going to continue to build from there. So that way we can solve this issue. on one front of us having, not having uh, economic sustainability within the community. And that's our focus. So um, we had a few programs. Like I said, we started the program in, we started in October and we had two programs this year, January and February. February. But since then we had to you know, try to think about how are we going to um, redevelop this program in a digital space. And it's so crazy because we're preaching like digital transformation, learn how to code, like or learn how to make websites without code. Um, We're preaching that. And then it comes to a point where it's just like, okay, now how are you going to make it digital? So uh, and we only reason it's complex for us is because it's about the context. Like you said earlier, it's so much more that goes into, you know, oh, we're doing this for the youth. But it's usually we're focused on uh, youth that are in unrepresented or underserved uh, populations, right? Uh, People who, you know, they usually are probably just working with an organization to help kids leverage and learn how to do this stuff. So 
that's pretty much like has been our challenge, um, our COVID challenge, basically. <laughs> but yeah, and also to see how um, like the digital transformation in school, how it didn't go as well as like we would have hoped, <laughs> especially not here. Um, it didn't go as well as we would have hoped. So we realized that 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 would be an issue, and we didn't want to make it to where it's excluding. Uh, the people, the very people, the very you, like the very kids that look like us that we want to represent and serve and support. So, but yeah, and I kind of got the idea from uh, Robert Frederick Smith. He he uh, has a quote that says that technology is one of the greatest wealth generating tools in the history of. Don't quote me completely, but <laughs> he said it. We'll say <laughs> and, inspired by. <laughs> Yeah, he said it, and I just took it as like, is you know, it's really one of the greatest wealth generating tools, and you know, the history of you know this world in general. Because you think about these bigger companies, the companies, the billionaires, the bigger billionaires in the world right now, they're tech companies. You know, the Amazons, the all of those organizations, those people behind that, they have generated that amount of wealth. Not you know. I'm not, you know, pro-capitalism. I do believe um, that there needs to be some form of like cap uh, to where they can't corner a market like that. But when I see it as something like that, I'm like, well, why can't we do that for ourselves? You know what I'm saying? Why can't we do that for our community? And, you know, that's why I took it as. That's what I want to do. I love it. I love it. That's exactly right. That's the mindset I have when I see something that's cool. It's like, oh. How do they get to that? Like, why, why can't mm-hmm. I do that? And like, I strongly believe like anything truly is possible. Cause like Absolutely. at one point, nothing existed. So everything had to be built and discovered. That's a good point. So, yeah. And also kind of go back to like the big people out there. Like I know like even with Jeff Bezos, everyone knows him as like Amazon the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Some people know they have other business services, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like last year, there was this huge thing between like Amazon not getting this government contract for yeah. the federal government to use their services. Mm-hmm. And that's when, the whole, yeah, it was $10 billion. I think it was a $10 billion. And that's when him, uh, Bill Gates surpassed him as the richest man. But right after that, he came right back ahead of him. So it was because they're, they're greatest, like we know them for Amazon, but their biggest solution that they make money off is their cloud services. Not a lot of people know that. So it's pretty good. It's a good, um, that's a good battle to have between the person, you know, which one of our companies is going to get this uh, $10 billion contract from the Pentagon. Right. <laughs> I want to have that argument with somebody. Right. It sounds like good problems. <laughs> so let's take right. that. All right, cool. So um, with the coding, like what are, I guess you already answered, so developing websites and what are some of the other things that you guys teach kids to um, learn how to develop? Yeah, uh, so it's more of a development side of it. So development and design, right? Uh, Like one of the classes we did with young girls, they were like 12 years old, maybe. And we use super simple tools to like teach them how to leverage design, right? using Canva, creating a design in Canva. And then we show them how to go to Teespring to put it on a t-shirt and make their own t-shirt company. So, you know, 
it's well not make their own t-shirt company but have them a side hustle selling t-shirts online so you know basically something small like that but really empower empowering people to see how simple it is to leverage the tools that exist and then to build that build on top of that we have another we had another program where we taught them how to create full websites using wordpress so we're we're using smaller like simpler tools to teach them how to do it and then also trying to make sure they understand that this isn't as hard as people make it seem to be um and we just said hey let's create a wordpress site okay well here's the theme you have to customize this theme to however you want your business to be represented online that's it um open up a shop and just get so it was just that type of stuff we teach them mostly that stuff but it's always centered around creating making some money teaching you how to make your own money <laughs> that's really cool that is really cool because like you it's so interesting people i feel like it's funny because everyone kind of starts with a t-shirt company now it's almost like coming out with a mixtape but it's really <laughs> cool because like that t-shirt company could take you from just selling t-shirts online to owning your own clothing empire like mm-hmm. a lot of these like streetwear brands that we know of they started off just like cutting up some designs putting them on shirts and then exactly. just telling to their friends who happen to pop so like this t-shirt game like it's almost like the entry level to just everything else or anything else you want to pursue and it's really cool. You kind of guiding them and showing them, you know, it's not that complex. You know, it could just be yeah. as easy as make a design here, popping on a WordPress site mm-hmm. using Teespring. Boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Listen up, everyone. I know you've been asking about how you can support besides listening, and it's been a minute, but I finally have something for you. You can now join me in the Boss Locks Village. It's a Patreon group that you could join to get exclusive content, be the first to find out about new shows, and even find opportunities to be a part of the show. There's a lot of cool things that I'm ready to do, excited to launch, and the Boss Locks Village will be the first place to hear about it. So once again, um, go to bosslocks.org and look for the link to learn how to join. But you'll want to act fast, because the very first three people to join the village and leave a podcast review will get a free, never-before-seen original boss lock shirt and i mean really new like it's not even on our site yet so right now stop what you're doing go to bosslocks.org that is b-o-s-s-l-o-c-k-s dot org to learn how to join thank you now back to our show all right so um i want to kind of transition a little to your natural hair journey which you spoke about before but I'd like to hear your thoughts on a few things, um, especially because you have like really cool locks. And I like how you have a design to the side too. Um, so to start off, uh, what do you wish that people understood about natural hair? Oh man, this is a, a really long conversation, but what I wish they understood is, I wish they would take the idea of it being you know, um, oh, are you going natural or, oh, you have locks or something like that. I wish they would take that component out of it because they're so used to seeing people um, with straight hair, with, you know, the, the I'm not going to talk about weaves because I used to wear my weaves, but, you know, they're not so used to seeing that. 
And then also stop taking it as you're you not grooming your hair. Like if you see my hair right now, like my hair looks good. But I have frizzes on here, right? My hair is groomed. It looks nice. It looks beautiful. But this is this is real. <laughs> Everything about it can't be like completely perfect, right? And um, even further, like to go into it and just say, stop being amazed by you know, <laughs> natural hair. Like it's. Of course, it's going to be gorgeous. It's going to be beautiful. It can be long, right? Because that's another thing, too. It, I, I get that my hair is fake sometimes because it's gotten a lot longer. No, it, it can be all of those things combined into one. And that's one. those are like a few points that I've experienced that I would like people to just look at. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's interesting how, like, because of, like, there's a lot of unlearning that we all have to do, uh, white people, black people, everybody. But like, I know a lot of people just have no idea what the hair looks like growing out because they're always like cutting it, shaving it or covering it up and things like that, or adding chemicals. So it's just kind of interesting what that ends up leading people to believe. Because I remember early in my lock journey, a lot of people, and I was always confused when people asked this. I was like, what? You really think that? But they would ask, like, is that your real hair? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what else would it be? Of course, then I eventually started learning about like lock extensions and everything like that. But like people were literally shocked that that was my actual hair. Yeah, this is it. This is my hair. And I, I, I don't, I, so usually people will ask me, you know, because it, it's gotten a lot longer, but usually people will ask me, you know, is it your hair? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. But that's it. But. Gotcha. And um, through your entrepreneurial journey, because I know like with the military, they had their kind of set ideas mm -hmm. on how it should be grown. But as you're kind of growing as an entrepreneur, tech founder, and launching these different businesses, have you had any kind of resistance like from other people working with you because of your hair? So not from other people working with me. Um, I will say from myself, because there's some things that I had to unlearn as well. Like I would pull my hair back into a bun uh, just to, because I know I'm going in here with some investors to seem more presentable to them. Uh, so I had to learn how to be comfortable within myself and not focus so much on how to make other people feel comfortable. Um, so, you know, that type of thing. So any like restrictions or anything that, that were placed, I placed them on myself because of my perception of how someone else per would perceive me. And, you know, I once I got like more comfortable with um, being able to say, you know, this is about me being comfortable. I got to be comfortable when I go in here to talk to these investors to let them know, you know, to Deion Sanders said, it, if you look good, you feel good. I want to look good and I want to feel good. I want to know that I'm, I'm, I'm coming in as my authentic self. And that's that's my piece now. So I show up where I am and I show up however, you know, however they going to get me. If my hair in a bun, this is how you going to get me today. <laughs> mm -hmm. So That's really cool because I know a mm -hmm. lot of people kind of do meet that resistance. But I know like sometimes it is really just internal, just like mm -hmm. like we start thinking like, oh, no, they're not going to like it like this. I have to do this. Yeah. And it's like we all kind of grow up kind of um, trying to make other people feel comfortable. Yeah, but absolutely. no one ever talks to you about like making yourself feel comfortable. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So cool. that's a big. Nice. And um, 
the last one, um, do you consider your locks a hairstyle or a lifestyle? Ooh, I'm still working on this because see, I didn't traditionally start my locks with the knowledge of what, you know, the history behind what comes with it and everything. So I'm learning. I'm continuously learning. Initially, I just started as, you know, a style. I Actually, it was never just a style. It was never just a style. I will say that it was never just a style for me. Um, but it became, you know, more of my identity now than it was when I first started. So, yeah, it's definitely a lifestyle. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. And I feel like there isn't a right or wrong answer to it. Because um, I know just kind of starting the lock journey myself, like you just end up growing. And it really does force you to grow and come comfortable with yourself, like as the locks grow and decide to end up doing its own thing. So it kind of becomes this hairstyle and lifestyle all at the same time. And there's like, so many different components to it. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> cool. And one thing I forgot to ask earlier, but I'd like to ask everyone this question in particular. Mm -hmm. um, how do you define professionalism? Um, professionalism is more of an action. It's not, uh, and, and it can be an appearance as well, but it's more of an action and, and how, you know, things are being resolved now because the way we've been doing a lot of um, video calls, right? It's been hey, let me throw a shirt on. Hey, let me throw some pants on. Or a lot of the video calls that I've been on, it's we've been using like video uh, platforms, but the camera's always off. So, you know, it, and you still sense the professionalism, right? So that's, that's what it is. Professionalism to me is more of an action and it's showing up, um, yeah, it's showing up the way that you are, but also just, doing it in a, a phase or a space that is, you know, presentable, right? Like I wouldn't show up to my job with like the same dress that I'm going to wear to the club. It's just, <laughs> you know, um, when it, when we talk about that type of stuff. So it's more of an action, but it does have like its presentation components of it. Cool. So, um, Honestly, I could just continue asking questions all day, but I think we've given people enough for this episode. But is there anything in particular that you wanted to share or touch on before we left? No, I think I hit every point. I hit a point on everything today. <laughs> you did. You did. I know um, we're going to plug in uh, Govly into the description, but I know I'm going to check it out after this <laughs> to see uh, to set up my profile, especially since it's free too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, what are all the different places we could find you and the projects you're working on? Absolutely. I am on all social media platforms as Shakia Kegler, uh, also Govlier, G-O-V-L-I-A, as well as Code to Eat. So exactly as it sounds, uh, Code T-O Eat. And then um, also I have a website that you could check out if you just ever want to uh, get some information about some of the projects that I'm working on or uh, reach out is shakiakegler.com and that's where you can find me. Oh, I'm also, I said social media platforms. I think I said all of them. <laughs> all of them. Instagram, okay. Facebook, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'm on YouTube. Oh, YouTube <laughs> on too. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I, I don't use it as much. I need to start to, but I don't use it as much. 
That'll be next step with the Code to Eat program. Yes, that is. I need to get some stuff out of the ground as well. I started a podcast, but I haven't done much with it right now. So uh got a few few projects to get off the ground now. Oh, cool. <laughs> Come on the podcast. I'll help you kind of get that back to life. Yes, please do. I got you. All right. Well, Shakia, thank you very much for coming, spending the time and dropping some knowledge on us. Uh, really appreciate it and really appreciate what you're doing as well. Thank you. And I appreciate you having me. This is a, a wonderful way of sharing a message about locks and, you know, the people who are in these different spaces as well. So I appreciate you for that. Thank you. All right, y'all, that's a wrap for today, but please do yourself a favor and go to bosslocks.org right now. We're at the beginning of something great, and I don't want you to miss out. You know, not only can you learn more about our guests, follow them and on all the platforms that they exist on, but you can also join the Boss Locks Village. The Boss Locks Village will be the place to stay in the loop and get things before anyone else. All you do is visit bosslocks.org, that is B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S.org to learn how to join the village. And I also want to thank you for listening to Boss Locks. We're here to redefine professionalism, prove that natural hair and professionalism do coexist, and elevate black voices. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the village.